and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. I'm George Hendricks. And today we are talking about Minute 118. It begins with a further look at the alien queen and ends with the alien queen looking down at Ripley. And we do have uh, Todd decide to stick around for one more episode. Todd Norris, uh, glad I was able to pull out the hide bed for you and <laughs> give you a place to stay for the evening. Uh, and thanks for coming back for Minute 118. I'm well rested. Thank you very much. Yeah, Hopefully the bar wasn't too hard on your back. In the that worst. It's just <laughs> right the there worst. in the middle. It's, oh. Oh, sorry, just couldn't... Uh, didn't have anything else. Sorry. Um, I, should anyway. said, I should have said, man, you look just how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That would have been a good way to wake up. Oh. All right. So we're minute 118. We're right in the middle of that shot that George ruined for the entire world by pointing out that it's not Sigourney Weaver um, in the foreground. Sorry, of the I'm sorry. Show. It's, uh, it's my job is to ruin things. I'm a ruiner. You are the ruiner. Uh, that's why I have you on here. I want, people will enjoy things too much. You got to have ruiners. I feel like if I wasn't doing that, then I wouldn't be doing my job, and therefore the world would be a better place. And I just can't have that. Right. Um, so we're getting this first. Uh, we're getting this first shot. You know, of the alien queen. It's the big boy. This is a big epic shot. I mean, what would be the term for this? Or the big, the big reveal? Or I would. Yeah, the I guess the big reveal. I was going to say hero shot for some reason. Like this is not the hero, <laughs> so that wouldn't make any sense at all. But boy, yeah, they're it's very the proud of this shot. puppet. Yeah, it's the end of the villain shot, I guess. Um, the big, the big bad. Uh, but boy, they were pretty proud of this puppet. I'd say by the way they're they're holding on this shot and revealing everything the way they are. It's it's and it's a lovely puppet. I gotta say it's oh, yeah. creepy and gross. And uh, I'd like to like uh, my own little um, Mia culpa. I was co- I was complaining about the lighting yesterday on this shot because of the last scene where it was paused, it was really washed out. But that's just because the strobe light was happened to be caught right in the middle of the shot. When the strobes okay. moved on, it's much better. So right. I, my apologies to the uh, second unit lighting crew who did this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really quite a lovely shot. That does bring up though that the the, the uh, there's clearly. A, a light just right behind the oh, yeah, queen's yeah. head, creating that the uh, foggy Nimbus. shaft of light, volumetric light, kind of coming out. So it's unmotivated by anything, unless I suppose it needs to keep its butt warm to lay eggs, and there was a warm light source there. But. Well, I mean, if you remember back to the um, the big pan when they were showing like the the ovipositor trail going up, there was a big bright light backlighting the egg sacs and everything from that direction. So it's True. still consistent. It's just, yeah. why is it there to begin with? Yeah. And it is all the way. The, the light is placed way back because you actually get a little tail wag uh, between the, so it's all the way back, all the way behind the tail. Even you get the tail wagging across. They thought to do that. Yeah. To even cut through the light with the tail a little bit, um, which obviously when you're dealing with a puppet with all these moving parts, there's not going to be any accidents, right? <laughs> like every, every movement here has to be coordinated. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously you're trying to accentuate the shot in any way possible and whether it's motivated or not, doesn't matter because it's beautiful. This thing should be backlit this way. This thing's majestic. Yeah. I mean, t- and also just on a practical level, if you've got this giant 14 foot puppet, and you're trying to create a mood of horror and dread, but also not give away the fact that this is just a big giant puppet. The best way to do it is to have the foreground look very dark, like it does. If you you can't really see any detail in the alien queen's uh, body 
because there's no real frontal light going on. It's all coming from below and from behind. So it's these little accent shots. Yeah, just yeah. Like, there's like a light up here on the right side, just just to give like some like gl- glimmer on the carapace. But that's really it. It's just to give a little definition, but not detail. Yeah, and the smoke. You know, if you took away the smoke, then the the puppet would literally just disappear into a dark background, yeah. and there would be nothing there. So what's great about lighting the smoke is that it just reveals this dark skeletal form in the foreground with this fog. I mean, it's just a cool shot, but it's also probably, it's really the best and only way you could have lit this thing. And I like, I like the sort of ambient light, not ambient, but like just the, the glow you get coming through the, um, the tail, the, the egg canal, the fallopian tube. What is that? I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. The abdomen, the, birth canal i guess is uh you got the nice little backlight on it it's just nice and creepy and very disturbing looking well you have to establish the smoke as well uh for later for this the front projection shots we're gonna get later too because this i understand it to smoke helps those sell those shots a lot as well we have a little smoke in the foreground the rear projection shots will uh I, I don't know what Todd, do you have any insight on what it is about that? I, I've heard someone say that it might even be in the commentary for the movie. I don't remember, but um, what it is about smoke that sells a front projection shot. Um, I think, well, as far as what I know, if you um, separate the idea of a rear projection shot versus let's say a blue screen or, you know, some sort of a composited shot, is that you can even have atmosphere at all. So if, if, if for instance, you know, the, the uh, fake Ripley and, and Newt in the foreground were actually just standing in front of a blue screen and this puppet was like um, composited into the shot, you wouldn't have been able to have any smoke in the foreground at all because it would, it would uh, not be keyed out from the blue screen or yeah. it would look funny. Okay, sure. So by having something really there, a screen projecting something, you can have atmosphere at all. Like, I guess that's what mm-hmm. sells it is that you can actually create a realistic atmosphere um, that right. you can't do with blue screen or green screen shots um, without just adding a separate pass that can look digital or fake because it's not really on the set. So um, I guess. That's well, and, I, and I suppose when you shoot your footage for your front projection shot, you add elements into it that you're going to add into your environment for the uh, what's in the foreground and they just match, right? I mean, that's a real basic way of saying that too. Like you see smoke, and Sigourney Weaver standing among some smoke. You have the, the the previously shot footage for the front projection. You put smoke in it. It tells the brain this is the same place. You have similar elements of the environment. I mean, is that what you were kind of getting at, or is that I'm just trying to get like a basic understanding of how these things work? Because front projection is such a kind of an archaic idea now and it's so kind of foreign to me i find it really interesting yeah, and you know i mean without here's what's the, the problem with this conversation is that uh i was watching the commentary and they did mention that some of these shots were front projection not any of the stuff that we're looking at in this minute but that's true uh, we're but, talking about this a minute early I yeah think. but here, that's i want to say but it does it does beg to differ because we have smoke, we have the shot of the alien, we have all this other stuff and it's very like still and static, but then you see the foreground and there's wind blowing her hair so hard that it's like wrapping around her head. So if there's wind coming from that hard, why is it blowing the smoke away? If this is not in fact a, a, a composite shot. Um, 
Well, I think that's just because the the smoke itself is a, a haze that is so thick and full that you don't really see. It's not like fog where there's sort of wisps and billows. It's you can still have a wind machine, and if the set is so thick with the, the- I, just, I just I just don't see any movement in the smoke. There's no roiling. There's no shifting. There's no transitions between like the lines coming off the shadow lines coming off the speckle of the alien are very hard and crisp. They're not. They're not. There's no movement to them, right? And I think that's just because the the, uh, the room itself is so thick with the uh, the smoke or the fog that that its uh, consistency is you know it's basically consistent. So any sort of wind movement is doesn't show up as anything below because it's I'm not doing a good job of explaining it. But, uh, <laughs> Are we talking about? I mean, what's what is? Uh... Our, our fake Ripley, what is her uh, proximity to this puppet in this shot, you think? I mean, it could be a matter of... Well, if it's a full-size puppet, then it it's it looks on the smaller side, so she could be actually a good ways away from it. They're just If they're using yeah. a long lens, it compresses the shot a lot, so... Yeah, so it could be that there's a pointed you know, fan or wind uh, smoke machine pointed right at our, our double here. She's caught in a draft. But, that's far enough. Yeah. Basically then she's far enough away that it wouldn't be that the wind from that would not disrupt the smoke around the alien queen there. So. Coming back to the wind and the hair, it's funny because when the back shot and the wide shot, it's blowing very hard left to right. But then when mm-hmm. you cut to the front shot, her hair is blowing forward. It's like so, yeah, wrapping around her eyes and face and stuff. So it's just interesting that like, yeah, they give you all the, like the composite stuff and then, and they're like, Oh yeah, well with the fans in a different place from shot to shot. And George continues to ruin the scene for everyone. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. There's later on in the minute. There's definitely some lighting inconsistencies mm-hmm. where you, you go yeah. from close up to the reverse. The the light switches sides and changes. So. See, John, I'm not the only one who notices it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there are I, a few I, things in this minute that are kind of. We'll get to them later, but there are some weird choices as far as editing. I this imagine minute. this scene probably took more than one day to oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like they <laughs> got what they thought they needed. And then they're like, no, we need more. We need more because we need this is the reveal. And it just wasn't giving them the same cell they were looking for. Like you're talking about the tail moving in the background. I guarantee you that wasn't thought of at first. They're like, you know what? Let's have the tail move. And they had to spend like three days getting a rig to make the tail wave in the shadows in the background just to make, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> they, just, they just want it to be perfect. And so they just they keep adding on pieces to make it so. And movies are hard to make. They are. You're not going to get it all right. It's almost <laughs> impossible. So we're got a... Uh, We'll get, we'll get now. We're still just talking about this opening uh, shot here, but we're now going to get another big reveal of what this uh, alien queen is all about. And that is, um, and maybe you guys have a better explanation for exactly what's going on here, but we get the proper face emerge from the alien queen and reveal some teeth here. Now, are we thinking that this uh, is some kind of protective shell? Like she's the queen. She's very important. So she wears this giant protective shell while the like actual, and I don't mean like it's armor or like clothing. I mean, it's part of her biology, but um, she has a little bit more of a protective mechanism here. What do you say with this giant crown and yeah. So her actual face, like she could even maybe at some point, as we know, she can shed parts of herself. Apparently we'll find out later, but uh, maybe she could even shed some of this armor if she wanted to. And she'd just be her old fashioned xenomorph underneath. I don't know, but we do get that face kind of emerge from under sort of a helmet yeah. of sorts. 
And uh, yeah, another another big one, another big creepy moment for me when I first saw this movie. And you know, in my mind, I still think of these uh, alien teeth. It's these translucent ones. I, I always think of them that way more. That you, uh, just because it's the first time I ever saw alien teeth, really. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, we think of them now. Most people think of them as the metal, like kind of silvery metal ones that you get from the first movie. But I love these translucent teeth. I think they're pretty. Uh, it's, pretty creepy. It's funny. Uh, my my friends and I, when we saw Aliens in the theater in 86, um, you know, we were amateur filmmakers at the time, had our VHS camcorder and stuff like that. And um, I recall, I'm probably getting this somewhat wrong, but I recall buying the issue of Cinefix magazine that talked mm-hmm. about the special effects of this movie. And there was a mention of two different products that were used a lot in this movie one was what's called ultra slime which is basically all the saliva in this movie you know or all the goop Uh anytime you see some of that stuff it's just layered with this stuff called ultra slime and you could buy it it was it was a product that you could buy and my friends and i wanted to make a a horror film that we we never ended up making but i bought a little thing of that stuff Yeah, and, uh, it was just it was just really cool to have in your hands the same sort of goop that was used in uh, in this movie. The second thing is what's and I'm probably getting this wrong, but there was something called friendly plastic. And what friendly plastic was, was these like a little pellets that you could get in a jar that you could uh, put them in water and you could heat them up. And with heat, they would become this sort of malleable not quite Play-Doh kind of thing, but definitely soft plastic stuff that you could then pour into a mold. And then Mm. when, when it cooled, it would dry. And I'm pretty sure that these teeth were made with friendly plastic. And so we bought some of that stuff. You know, our intention was to make this monster mask and all this stuff. And we, we basically just never ended up doing all this stuff, but I did buy the friendly plastic and the ultra slime based on this movie. I love the the slime is clear. Like, like all mm-hmm. of the viscous fluids, like the only thing that adds any color on the alien is its blood, which is that sort of like sickly yellow mustardy green color. So the fact that all of like its teeth, its slime, its, all its fluids are clear is that's much more unsettling, I think, much more grotesque to me than if it were green or pink or yellow or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. I, the, one of the nerdy things that I always noticed you know, as much as I'm sort of uncaring about the life cycle, w- whether the alien queen fits in with the original mythos or not. One of the things that I did notice as a, when I was first saw this movie compared to alien was that the saliva in the first alien is very thin and watery. It's basically watery. You know, every time the, the alien would open its mouth in the first movie, it's all dripping, what came out drooling. Yeah. Whereas this is very thick and viscous and gooey and, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this ultra slime stuff was invented in 1982. And I think the movie Poltergeist was one of the first movies to use it for all its ectoplasm. Uh-huh. And so all throughout the rest of the eighties, you saw this kind of goopy look, whereas of course in 79, it didn't exist. So you had this much more thin ghostbusters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ghostbusters was one of the ones that used it a lot. Yeah. Which then customized, they customized it with some kind of green, coloring right yeah I'm that's sure, what yeah. i was going to ask about yeah. that could you change the viscosity of it could you make it your own thing at all uh that, that ultra slime that i'm not sure but i did look up their website and they're still around and they they have of course because of capitalism they've got all these different variations yeah. and things that you can do and stage blood and dried blood and you know different colors and so yeah they've uh, marketed themselves into I wonder what the ultra slime budget budget was for Alien. 
really high. That was like half the budget went to Ultra Slime. It was like craft services and Ultra Slime. Those are like yeah. the two big points. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. This I love the design. You know, I, I assume there's people out there that don't care for this Alien Queen at all. I know I've talked to some people that don't like her existence even in the first place, but so, um, so I love the design of this alien keep coming person. back to the, to the reproductive thing because it is so bad shit. Is she hermaphroditic? Do we call like it how it, queen because she lays eggs, but is she the, because we don't see an alien King. We don't see the drones fertilizing anything. So basically she generates these fully formed life beings, face hugger eggs in herself, lays them and then they go through reproduce by impregnating the host and then the the, the xenomorph burst through but it, right. like where does the actual genesis of xenomorph life come from is it is it the does she self-impregnate or does she self-fertilize um yeah that's, that's a good a, question it's a good question i so we i i mentioned earlier yesterday um that the analogy that that um, Hudson makes toward, but ants and bees. I think he might mention both. I can't remember. Wasn't really accurate because this is much more like a termite kind of situation. And that was what I did a little bit of research. I don't know. I'm not, you know, an expert on any of this kind of stuff, but um, this idea of there being a queen inside of a, you know, protected area with drones and laying as many eggs as possible is much more like the queen termite. Yeah. And, and the, you know, Eerily enough, a, a termite can, uh, I think, lay 30,000 30, eggs in a week or something like crazy like that. So the, the being a lot more like the termite, uh, there is a requirement. You know, the termite has to get, take what they call a nuptial flight and go out and mate with male termites. So I'm guessing there are, uh, you know, if we're going to make the analogy fully uh, formed here, there's probably some male aliens male xenomorphs out there that are meant to sire these eggs and and there's this initial you know the queen went out and um got knocked up and comes back and lays as many eggs as possible so i'm guessing i guess that's probably it even though it's not explained here at all the similarities between the alien queen and a termite are, are that's the closest i think you know if anybody out there listening has yeah. a better analogy or if you know a biologist who has thoughts on the matter that, that would be great chime in uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I think of what you call a person that studies bugs? Um, uh, entomologist. Uh, entomologist, yeah. So if anybody out there is an entomologist, please chime in on our Facebook page. Or a zeal um, entomologist. Yeah, any anything, <laughs> anything, anybody that knows more than us, which is almost everyone. Pretty much. Like, you know, we, we, have, we have our strong suits. Uh, life forms and their biology is not one of them. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> um. So uh, we do get, but speaking of drones here, we do start to get some more, uh, you know, now that the queen has emerged and hissed at, at Ripley and Newt, I'm guessing that's kind of a call to action because these drones, these guardians characters start to come in. This one creeps in the way it's shot is like hilarious to me. I don't know why the way it kind of creeps around the corner. It just seems like a, just a creepy guy, you know, the way the body language and everything it doesn't really have an alien look to it. Hey, to hey little girl, what are you doing? Yeah. Look, <laughs> it kind of looks like a guy coming around the corner at like a nightclub going, Hey, uh, come here often. Want some candy. You know? yeah, uh, go away. Go away. <laughs> I read, or I heard on the uh, commentary that Stan Winston did shoot those insert shots of the aliens, uh, of the, yeah. you know, the drone aliens peeking around the corner. Yeah. 
And it's cool. I mean, I like that we're getting, you know, in Aliens, one of the benefits of having so many different aliens coming out of the woodwork is that we get all these different kind of styles of performance from whoever's wearing the bodysuits. Like, we're getting ones that are leaping around like animals, and we get ones that are creeping around like uh, scummy scumbag dudes in a nightclub, and uh-huh. we get... <laughs> You know, this one, then the second one comes forward and shows its teeth and they look like human. They look more like animal teeth. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed that they look like a little kind of off white or yellowish and that's creepy. And, you know, we just get all these different styles of aliens. And I, that's one of the benefits if, if, you know, an argument for uh, why aliens is great with having a bunch of aliens versus just one. One of the arguments would be that uh, I love the variety. I love the, <laughs> all the different styles and the creativity. So we cut back to this wide, uh, I think we've we pretty much uh, concluded that this is a telephoto shot with the heat vapor, um, you know, in between, like kind of vaporing up the shot. And it's in slow motion, right, when Ripley sets Newt down. Now, do either of you feel it's a jarring cut to this um, shot with the alien queen in the foreground and Ripley in the background back into regular speed. I, I, I know I'm probably crazy. I, mean, I feel the slow For some reason it really bothers me. Slow motion is like, it's, it's almost like you got to look at it again to see it's just slightly slowed down. Just like, just for emphasis, not really for mm-hmm. like that John Woo type stuff. It's just more like, it, like for me, it took me a couple of times to even see that it was slow motion. Oh really? Yeah, it's oh. just that subtle to me. I, like my eye just didn't pick up on it that much, but it just seemed more it's like a deliberate movement, like slow and movement, not necessarily like slowing the film down. But you know, I can see now that it is like a little, like just ramped down just a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that it is slowed down. I guess it is. I mean, the tip off for me is that the speed of the uh, flashing strobe light is slower yeah. on that shot than when you cut to the wide shot, which is one of the, one of the reasons why I think that is a funky edit. Yeah. Um, because, and, but also, you know, it, I can, uh, I can ruin this movie just as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that the lighting definitely changes from the telephoto close up where she puts Newt down to the wider shot where you're basically looking over the shoulder of the queen. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, if you look at it, the, the light source completely changes and, uh, and then that flashing light is like twice as fast. And then they so, have the, why is there a light underneath the floor light? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and again, strategically right behind an egg so that you get this flare. I mean, to me, it's fine. Like you just got to do this to, to make stuff look cool, but it is funny how no matter where you go, on this set, there's a an object that's being uh, backlit exactly by something, so you get the shafty smoke of light. Um, but it is an awkward cut, partly because um, you're going from this telephoto heat wave look to essentially a wide angle shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of an awkwardly wide angle lens uh, to shoot this over the shoulder to Ripley. Um, and, and I have the feeling that it's because they're probably right there at the end of the set. They can't get the camera up much higher to punch in. And I'm sure they want to keep both, both things in focus, but it is a little, it's an odd choice um, that isn't done very often with James Cameron to go from something that telephoto to something that wide. It's a little bit of a Sergio Leone trick, you know, it's yeah. like good, the bad, the ugly, where you go from a tight close up to a super wide shot. It's, it's a little awkward in this case. That's true. That might be part of what's bothering me about it. I will add on as far as the slow motion, 
Newt is the dead giveaway on that being slow motion because gravity is just not working the same as it would. You, know, you can set a kid down as slowly as you want, but gravity takes over and the kid's going to flop down and she's moving downward too slowly. But even Ripley's hair doesn't like it's flipping just slightly slower. You know, there's it's not yeah. a it's not a fast it's not a it's not an intense slow mo shot, but it is one. Yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely not a super super slow mo. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, to it's me, I th- like 36 frames a second or something. You know, it's probably just it's. Yeah, just barely slow mo. Right, and that was uh, I think Mitch mentioned this way way back when we had our uh, you know Ripley's dream of the face hugger or the chestburster that this was a fairly new technology at the time was being able to just ramp down the speed in camera that easily like in the middle of a shot even if you wanted to and it seemed that uh, James Cameron was really really into that in this movie. I think it's great for this moment. You know, he um, loves his technology. Yes, you know, so he does. But, but you know what? I think my instinct, and I'm not saying that this is a bad choice. And, and Todd, I think what you're pointing out about the changing the, the width of the shot, like changing into a wider shot, might be part of what's jarring to me. I think as an editor, I, my instinct would be to throw in an insert shot, just something, cut to the queen for just a second before I cut back to that wide shot, just because there's something really jarring about going from slow motion of one movement to going back to regular speed of the exact same movement, but just from a different shot. I think that's just an odd choice. Um, it's not like, I'm not thinking that it's breaking some kind of a rule or anything. It's just jarring to me, but there's, you're adding it more elements to make, make me think that maybe that's why it's jarring to me too. So I don't know. I think my instinct, if I was cutting this movie together, my instinct would be to put a little bit of a buffer between the two, just have something to, uh, transition us from one shot to the other more explosion that way it just seemed a little bit more smooth yeah just go, cut away to another explosion or something <laughs> you always just got to keep that b-roll of explosions yep. handy to cut in you know spice something really ruin the mood and cut to a shot of bishop you know like <laughs> contemplating back or not. yeah going should i stay or not ah this, this platform's getting unstable <laughs> all right well let's see i don't think i have anything else do you guys well well flamethrower. i guess there is a big moment yeah yeah, we could talk about that more tomorrow because it kind of continues yeah, exactly, on. Exactly, there is that uh, the wonderful you know shot of Ripley uh, looking up. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much there is to say about that. She's just kind of a kind of a taunting look almost. She's like, "Ah, oh, see what I can do here. Maybe you ought to, <laughs> you know, I just shot a, f- a few flames out over your yeah, children here. Um, just as a warning, pushing through fear, and that's a pretty intense, uh-huh. uh, intense look to pull off, yeah. and she does it really well." Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, if you guys don't have anything else, uh, Todd, do you want to tell the people where they can find you one more time? Yeah, you can uh, find my short films at toddnorris.net and also the work of myself and Mitch Bryan, another co-host of the show, at uh, jetpackpicks.com. And George? Uh, the Mogwai Minute on online, anywhere. That's like I said, that's what happens when you do something. Pick in a unique URL and you're good to go. <laughs> The Mogwai Minute, where they discuss gremlins one minute at a time. And you can find us at AlienMinute.com on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Minute 118. Shoot, I forgot. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for Minute 118. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 119.